everyone, and welcome to episode 647 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? Good. We're getting all the uh, technical stuff here out of the way, uh, <laughs> since there is no news, right? It's been smooth sailing. So. Right. Ashley Remington. Um, but again, no news. Got conventions, got what we read this past week, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, Sandman, and then the brief week here in 2023 where there's no TV show, no movie. Mm -hmm. I know we had a big chunk of that at the beginning of the year, but with Ant-Man last week, I think this is our last week where there's nothing going on for quite some time. I think so, yes. Right. And I want to throw this out here, and it was something I wanted to mention on After Dark, but again, here's good enough just to kind of fill things out. So two weeks ago, um, Tumblr, where we host uh, soon-to-be-named Network Through, um, just decided to no longer cross-populate with Twitter. Oh, something going wrong out of the blue. Who would have right. thought? Um, so it was one of those things where... You know, because I, I put the post up on Tumblr. It gives you, like, in the post, there's, like, a little option, like a little Twitter button, right? You click the Twitter button, and you put in there the, you put in there the information of how you want the, the post to appear on Twitter. Like, well, that's where you tag people and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So I do, I've been doing that, right? Twitter button's there. I do the Twitter button. So I'm conversing with uh, DJ of Wings on Wings, and uh, we need wrestling. And he mentions to me, he's like, yeah, I noticed like two weeks ago you stopped uh, tweeting the shows out, right? Through the soon-to-be-named soon network account. And I'm like, oh, that's peculiar, right? right? So I go in and I look at Tumblr and I'm like, eh, things are okay there. And I'm like, well, let me look through Tumblr announcements, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing in Tumblr announcements. All my Tumblr stuff goes to spam. It's like usually like five Tumblrs that you should be following. And it's usually not anything I'd be following. And it was something something that they sent out on the 14th that says, effective immediately, we will no longer be cross-promoting with any other social media accounts. And it lists everything, and Twitter's included. Now, what was tripping me up is, even still to this day, when you go there, there's the little Twitter button that says, like, cross-promote this to Twitter. So they haven't fixed that, right? Right. We're taking it away, but we're still going to leave this confusing thing on our page. Yes! Yes! So I had to uh, put a... One, two, sixth different browser on my computer. Oh, because as an old, listen, as an old who has multiple Twitter accounts, um, I have to, you know, that I'm making sure that I'm not like, oh, I accidentally sent a tweet up from this to this, right? Mm-hmm. So I got one browser for my main account. I got one browser for at odds. I got one browser for Longbox Heroes. I got one browser for Words. I got another oh. browser for. Then I had to add another browser for soon to be soon to be named network, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all. It's just like all right, just a little like one more extra thing. But I like doing it this way a little bit better now. It's like an extra step, but at mm-hmm. least I know it's getting done. So, I mean, I know we don't want to dwell on this because this is the comic book show. When you say you have multiple browsers, do you have multiple of the same browser? Or is it like, oh, I have like, and I know some of them don't exist anymore. It's like, oh, I have Chrome for this one. I have uh, Explorer for this one. I have Blank for this one. Or is it all? I have uh, Chrome for my main account. I have um, Firefox for uh, this show, Longbox Heroes. I've got what's the matter? Y'all don't like Edge for the wrestling one. 
Uh, I've got the DuckDuckGo browser for the Words account, because that's the one where they can't check what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then I have Opera, which I don't even know what the hell that is. I've got Opera now for the soon-to-be-named network account. Right. That's crazy. Anyway. Listen, this is this is what works for me. Can I figure out what the problem is? Absolutely not. Can I figure out a convoluted workaround that makes sense just to me? 100%. There you go. So... That's comic book news. <laughs> <laughs> Browsers, right? Right. Um, but no, there was like a comics pro was this weekend, but it was like nothing like interesting. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, they're announcing a new X-Men event. No, not for me. Um, Boom is continuing with their returnability of variant covers. All right. Good for them. Right. That doesn't affect us. <laughs> doesn't affect us. And uh, that was really it. There wasn't, like, any new announcements and stuff. Um, it's been a lean couple weeks of news, right? Right. But that's okay, uh, because there's a convention going on this weekend. And again, they call, you know, they, all these things are comic book conventions, but whatever. You know, they are what they are. Um, it is the Astronomicon 6 in Detroit, Michigan. That sounds like an evil spell book. <laughs> an evil spellbook in space. Right. Uh, when they do the uh, next Army of Darkness movie and it's Ash in space, taking on Jason in space and Pinhead in space and the <laughs> Leprechaun in space. Oh, I was going to say, if you didn't have the Leprechaun in there, I would have been mad at you. Of course, the Leprechaun. Um, the third, uh, second best of the in space horror movies. I'll take your word for it. Um, but again, not a ton of comic book folks are there. Uh, you know, James O'Barr is there, because uh, I think we're probably coming up shortly on the um, 30th anniversary of the Crow movie. Probably, and some anniversary of the comic book, too. Right. Because that was one of them that, according to a certain show that we do, um, that was like, it was there, and then it went away for the longest time, and it came back in 93, you know what I mean? It yeah. finished up. Uh, John Lovitz is going to be there, a rare convention appearance from John Lovitz. Oh, I would like to see that. Uh, Tons of people from the world of sports and entertainment are going to be there. Right. Uh, Rikishi, Sabu, Sandman, The Godfather, and Papa Shango getting the uh, double photo uh, opportunity opportunity. Mm -hmm. And Trish Stratus is going to be there. Right. Then, not only is this the continuation at Astronomicon, the continuation of the Clerks 1 and 3 cast, the Mallrats people are now getting in on the action. Right. As they've added Jason Lee and Joey Lauren Adams to the crew of people for the Kevin Smith menagerie that's traveling around, right? Right. Um, that's all like, it's, you know, we're at mall rats, nostalgia time, right? I would say though, if I was there and I saw Joey Lauren Adams, all I would have is top of the heap questions. That's it. That's it. All top of the heap. Yeah. 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 I know you're in mall rats and chasing Amy. Sure. 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 But let's get to the meat and potatoes here. You know, what was Joe Bologna really like? (laughs) You big Bologna. 
Um, I do have one question on the inter- the sports entertainment side. All right, um, of course you always do. Right, I thought Rikishi was dead. No. Then who did is Rikishi the stink face guy? Yes. I thought he was dead. No, Rikishi's okay. I think the only one of any note from that lineage that has passed is a uh, Superfly Schnooka. Right. And what about the Simone Bulldozer? Is he alive and well? No, that's two. Okay, that's all there is. Gotcha. That's like, you know, Alpha and Sika, who <laughs> were like in their 40s in 1982, were still kicking, you know? Oh, good, good. I was worried. Yeah. Uh, they, the, the Samoan dynasty comes from a hardy breed, I'll tell you, Todd. <laughs> yes, a rugged stock, if you will. Yes, of course. Uh, but yeah, we have the links to that in the show notes, of course, uh, along with uh, information about the aforementioned soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. Uh, anytime any of the shows go live, of course, if you're subscribed to a podcatcher, Ha Patui, mm. you can find them there. Or you could go through soon to be named network and anytime all the shows go live, uh, whether it be this show, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, Porch Talk, the limited series, No Chance in Helmet. We're already like three weeks into the XFL season, <laughs> and we have not had an XFL episode. Yep. I voiced my displeasure privately with your partner. I'm voicing it publicly here. <laughs> uh, he's too busy, you know, getting ready for the next Porch Talk. So I was going to say he's too busy driving up to Brooklyn to give someone a knuckle sandwich. Okay. Uh, but... Uh, Also, and debuting in April is the new wrestling-adjacent show. Not a wrestling show, but a wrestling-adjacent show. Uh, Hiya, Bussy is the new show uh, coming to the soon-to-be-named network. Okay, that one is that. What is a Hiya, Bussy? Uh, That's the name of the podcast that Young Ed is doing. I personally like the show called uh, Young Ed Does a Podcast Sounds Good. Okay. Uh, is, but he decided to go with that. I'm not going to argue. Listen, if you have Ed on your network, you go with unfiltered Ed. You don't go like you don't give Ed notes. You know what right. I mean? Non-stepped on young Ed. Right? Yes. Oh, well, that's a whole other kettle of fish, you know? Right. Uh, so, yeah. So also, uh, of course, in the uh, show notes, uh, you can check out all of the stuff that our friends are doing. Maybe not podcasty stuff, but still. Uh, stuff that our friends are up to. And again, I don't have the updated list right here, but I do have it right here. Uh, Mike Sterling's uh, Progressive Ruin blog, Kevin Hellion's Mass Library blog, uh, Rick Williams' The Chop Shop, uh, Jason Sandberg, Chris Runt, uh, two longtime listeners of the show, uh, self-published comics. You can check those out respectively on the links for their books, Battle Monsters and Jupiter. Um, our friend Dave, uh, musician in the band Cave People, also put out a self-published comic called Keeper. We have a link that you could purchase that there. Our good friend Becky, who we've mentioned many a times, uh, is doing a pinup 
in a Kickstarter book that is about a week left. I did yell at Becky as well when I saw her that when she's doing things like this, she needs to give us the Iggy so that we can help promote the stuff for her. And did she, was it just a sh- shoulder shrug? She goes, yeah, I know. Um, she's not going to do it, but, you know, again, here we are. Um, Garland, short and deadly. Uh, like I said, she's doing a pinup in that, and I guess um, she's going to get um, you know, copies that she'll be able to sell and autograph or whatever. And, uh, of course, if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our comic book shop be your comic book shop, Comics on the Green. We have their social media linked up. Go check out when the new releases are coming in. If you're picking up your books, go find out when the new books that are coming out for the next two months and the final order cutoff dates are for those books. And sign up for their mail order subscription service. Uh, get stuff mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, and monthly. And there's a chance you can get a sketch on your package from the aforementioned Becky. We also have her social media linked up here so you can see uh, her commissions, her process, her art, and her so forth. Right. Let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Yes, sir. I'm going to start with the book I was looking forward Two most, which is Superman, the new Superman number one, written by Joshua Williamson and art by uh, Jamal Campbell. Um, this is basically like you know a fresh start, uh, a good jumping on point. Um, and Superman is obviously like doing his Supermany things as he's flying around, but he has a little bug in his ear um, telling him how to do things. It's a very narcissistic, very know-it-all bug in his ear. So, you know, real quick, we learn that it's Lex Luthor who's trying to help him because he's like, you kind of need my help to, uh, for what's coming. And Superman's like, I don't need your help. I've never needed your help. So as this is going on, we find out like we're all the the supporting cast of Superman is like Lex Luthor is down. Uh, yeah, not Lex Luthor. Uh, Perry white is down. He's sick. He's on sabbatical. So somebody else who's taking over, uh, as editor of the daily planet. And it's somebody, uh, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna give too much away, but they're, they're a good fit and a bad fit all at the same time to be editor. They'd rather be someplace else. And we got Jimmy Olsen running around. Um, and that's kind of fun. And then, Along the way, once again, Lex is like, I'm, you know, I'm going to help you. And he ends up going to Lex uh, Towers or whatever you want to call it, Luther Towers, LexCore Towers. And uh, Mercy Graves is there like, listen, he basically has betrothed the whole kit and caboodle to Superman. He's like, I don't want it. It's like, but if you do it, it's going to throw, if you get rid of it, it's going to throw a monkey wrench in the works because they employ so many people um, and it'll just be bad. So Superman doesn't know what to do with that. And then through that, the, like the presentation that they have to, to, to like promote Superman at like super core, whatever they're going to call it is really cool. And it's just each time it's absolutely maddening to like what what Lex is having them do to that to like how Lex is also going to help them that's just an insult uh like the way he can interact with them is an insult to Superman's family from Krypton and just more and more and more um it, it's just I just find it funny how like 
so egotistical Lex is in this. And um, there's even one point where Superman kind of like sees something and he's just, they do the, uh, the close up on his eyes and he's like just beside himself with rage. But Superman isn't going to, you know, go crazy. And then like, you know, an old classic villain starts to show up and Lex is still like, you need me. He's like, listen, I can handle any of my old, any of my villains that show up. And he goes, and Lex is like, and like whoever said, the people, your enemies, it was your enemies who were going to show up. And they kind of leave that with the cliffhanger. Um, all in all, this was like what I want from a Superman comic. Superman in character, he's not big, goofy kind of thing, but he's, you know, he, he when he saves somebody, like they're immediately like, you know, it's, I'm okay. Superman is here. And Lex is a dirtbag. And I like the whole you know, with LexCorp twisted on its head and the Daily Planet. I'm completely invested in this book after one issue. Yes, uh, very strong first issue, very much getting over uh, the importance of Superman, the relationship between Superman and Lex, um, how much of this book is Lex, as far as, you know, anyone else other than us, the reader, and Superman know, Lex is just trying to be helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you everything that I have. All of my stuff is not LexCorp anymore. It's Super Corp. It's S Corp. All of the people that worked for me now work for you. Um, th- this is what I'm giving to you. I'm looking to help. But we know with help from Lex Luthor, there's always a catch. Yep. Superman knows with help from Lex Luthor, there's always a catch. Um, but I just like that little dichotomy, that little bit of a change in the relationship, the little bit more overtness uh, of this. Now, I will also say that this is coming off of the heels of the rest of the DC Universe not remembering that Clark Kent and Superman are one of the same, correct? Yeah, for the most part, most people, I think it's like Lois knows, like there's a few that are really close to him to knows, and that's what, it doesn't say it in the book, but that's what happened to Perry. If Superman tells anybody, uh, their brain tries to kill themselves, you know what I mean? Um, so like Perry had a heart attack or whatever. So it's a byproduct of like, and Lex did it. So Lex, like, I'm going to help you out by making, giving you your secret identity back. And even I'm not going to know, but the way I help you is to make sure you don't do it again. You'll kill anybody if you do it, which is totally Lex, you know? Right. So that's more so what's going on over in action comics. I like that the status quo is between the two books, but the fact that this book doesn't have that be a major plot point, let that be the major plot point over in action. Right. This book is called Superman. I want to read stories about Superman. Mm Mm-hmm. And this uh, is my my one allotted super book for right of Superman book. Yes, Clark, 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 Superman. Yes, yes. Because I think you currently get at least three. Um, I'm definitely to get the Tom Taylor Superboy Son of Kal El book, mini whatever's coming out. Mm-hmm. I'm well, that's to... just the continuation of the existing Son of Kal El book, right? And then the double whopper of uh, World's Finest with uh, Superman and Batman. I think that's everything of super books, so. though. Right. Now, we're going to save the book that I was most looking forward to coming out uh, last week last. Let's get into uh, Batman Superman World's Finest number 12, uh, written by uh, Mark Wade with art by Emmanuel, uh, Emmanuel Lupacino. Okay. 
Um, so this is the story of throughout the course of this um, this run. There's been discussion of a date that Robin, Dick Grayson, Robin, and Supergirl went on, and it was a disaster. And that's this issue. Mm-hmm. And it was a disaster. And the story is told essentially from four point of views. Um, we have uh, Bruce and Dick discussing the date afterwards. Uh, we have Clark and Kara discussing the date afterwards. We have the real-time events of the date itself. And we also have a man who's just looking for his lost monkey. Right. Uh, and how he kind of plays a part in all of this as well. Mm-hmm. This was definitely a very fun uh, book. And, you know, obviously I've fallen a little bit, bit behind on this book. But this is more or less a self-contained story. Um, it does play into everything else that have been, has been going on. But you could just read this in and of itself. Right. It's no Dick and Barbara issue. But I didn't want this to be a Dick and Barbara issue. I wanted this to be something different, and it very much was. Yep. Uh, um, very much, I, I thought the angle that Kara saw, like, mo- more so the bad in Dick, mm-hmm. more times than not, whether it be him wearing the costume out of the date, him forgetting his wallet, spoilers... Um, him talking about himself so much, but this is her first interaction with a non, you know, directly involved with Superman human without like Clark or whomever being right there to kind of hold her hand through everything. And then, you know, Dick was definitely trying and a lot of his was just whether it be an alien or a human, he doesn't have this solo. He doesn't get to have these solo interactions um, with other people, let alone other superheroes, without Batman being right on top of them, you know? Mm-hmm. But I definitely thought this was a very fun story. Um, and uh, Emanuela Lupacino's artwork is absolutely beautiful, and the coloring is perfect, because I like in it, like, there's, like, it reminded me of back when, like, uh, Jeff Johns and Scott Collins did Flash, where there's a lot of muted colors, and then the only like reds, blues, and yellows and greens, uh, bright colors on are are on Supergirl and Robin during the date. If you get my meaning, so they like really stand out when they're in the the restaurant with all these people having their date. So I love that. It makes them like uh, it makes it even more awkward. But I had so much fun with this issue. This is I don't know if you know this, Joe. Like Mark Wade's a good writer. Yeah, um, he's he he wrote great comics back in the day and he's writing great comics today and this is one of them um and it's a it's a easily like easily accessible jump on issue and i i recommend if you just want a fun issue you're tired of like you hear like grim and gritty and this and that and everybody's like having their arms ripped off and murdered in like superhero comics pick this up this is a throwback to everything that you might enjoy there's no like angst other than the date going wrong and then legitimately like batman bruce and clark giving kara and dick like genuine like feedback on stuff and like trying to help them along the way i I loved everything about this as soon as i read i'm like i'm telling joe like we have to talk about this issue so pick it up see if you like it Yes. Now, Todd, can you get, if I was to send you some links, would you be able to access them? 
Yes. Where are you sending them? On the computer? I'm going to send them through the Skype. Okay. I'm going to send you this link for World's Finest that we just read. And let me know when you have it opened up to look at it. I'm opening it up now. Okay. Now, again, we get the cover. We have the date, or we have the name of the issue. We have uh, the general specs, no information underneath uh, who did the book. No write-up on the book, right? Right. Okay. I'm going to send you another link. Okay. Okay. Here's for Superman, the other book that we read this past week. Let me know when you have that open. Okay. Superman number one. Clicking on it now. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's open. Oh, look at that cover. That's a nice cover. Right. No cover, Um, no talent. (laughs) No nothing. Now, I'm going to send you this as the last resort, because this is what the DC website has changed to in the last week. Uh, You know, usually Tuesday... Uh, when we record, I get all the show no- the links together for the show notes so that I can include them in the write-up of the show. Um, but as you see there, uh, the DC website for comic books isn't so much as pushing the latest comic books that are out. It's more so pushing the latest collections that are out, right? Right. And what's new this week on the Ultra site. Right. And not even, and then more must-read collections. Then there's trailers for different series and stuff. So to find the latest upcoming single issues is very difficult to do. Right. And if you just click arbitrarily, and I say arbitrarily around the site, for, just as an example, if you're looking at that link for Superman that I sent you, right? Mm-hmm. you'll see that down there it says more from this series and then they have the link for action comics 972 has a little bit more of a write-up has the information of the creative team on the book um links that you can click on to go to information little bios and write-ups about the characters that are in the book right mm-hmm. so it looks as though the dc site is the middle in the middle of a rebuilding process right and i don't like it well, as long as they get it fixed fast, I mean, sometimes these things happen. Uh huh. What do you, you know? It's it's always, uh, you know, rush hour traffic on DC sites somewhere in the world. So yeah. And again, the related titles to the Superman number one that came out just this past week is an issue of Action Comics from six years ago. But it might be important to the story. Mm-hmm. It might be. You never know. Yeah. Um, I'm just really bummed out with how, like, when I thought Marvel had a bad site, DC decided to be like, no, 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 we're going to somehow, like, their site for, like, the last, like, like, since the lunar transaction almost two years ago, mm-hmm. their site was actually really good and navigatable and looked nice. And, you know, you could see, like, this week's books and last week's books. And, you know, you could see, like, the last, like, month worth of books, you know? Right. And now it's a disaster. And I hate it. Okay. Oh, good thing I don't use these sites, so they don't right. I'm glad you don't use websites. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, last but not least, uh, I know we both read this, and this was Saga number sixty-two, uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn with art by Fiona Staples. And uh, I will say this: it's been a month. Um, but we're going to talk about what happened in the last issue because okay. that's the major through line of this issue right right our a story 
Um, Vich, who our our lead heroes have been going to 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 make ends meet and sell some stuff and get books and whatever it is, um, gives the proposition to Elena at the end of the last issue that she could bring Marco back to life. Mm-hmm. And we get a flashback story to uh, Marco's mother, who was involved with Prince Robot the Fourth, and they have a conversation about how if they had the opportunity to bring their loved ones back to life, they wouldn't. However, uh, Marco's mother is definitely going to go on a quest that will certainly be her end as she goes to hunt down the people that killed her lover. Alana makes the decision like that can't be the life for me because that's a horrible life and it consumes you. Right. Right. Uh, So obviously um, Hazel and Prince Robot, the whatever number, the younger one are eavesdropping they hear this and then we get a little bit of a back and forth uh in regards to elena saying no we're not going to bring marco back to life right Mm -hmm. and there elena gets a good soliloquy a good speech a good thing in regards to liars and the lies they tell Mm -hmm. um which i thought was great and that's a great way to dangle this plot thread of bringing Marco back to life quickly in this issue, wrapping it up, saying we're not going there any further, but we all still have it in the back of our minds because Hazel has it in the back of her mind. You know? Right, right. Um, um, we then get a continuation of our A story as Alana is reading um, th- that book that she and Marco bonded over. And eh, maybe there's some language in that book that doesn't hold up today. And Hazel and Elena get into another back and forth in regards to using that sort of language again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, our B plot is the will is going to propose. And a lot of that is discussing that with his woman servant in front of lying cat. Um, whether or not he should propose to Gwen or not. And then we get our C store at the end, which is the continuation of the people who were looking for Elena and Hazel and so forth. And a trail that may have been running cold has now run hot. Yes. Okay. So again, I feel confident in spoiling the stuff that happened in issue 61 that's discussed here in issue 62, but there's a lot of stuff that happens in issue 62 that I can't spoil until next month. Right. Um, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I, Cause there is something that I do want to discuss, but I ha- I would have to tiptoe around it because I, I dis, I slightly disagree with you unless you are, you know, uh, hiding something where I really do think the storyline with, uh, bringing back Hazel's dad is over. Okay, well, okay, so it's over for now. Right. But but it's definitely it's, gonna come back up as a major plot point later. But not for Hazel. Not for Hazel. There you go. That's how I wanted to make sure we're on the same place. Yeah, yeah. So but otherwise I'm with you to bring it back around to Elena talking to Hazel about liars is one of the most true things I've ever read in my entire life. Where she's like, they will give you enough truths to make you fall for the big one down the line. And I was like, 
oh, this is so good. So, so good. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on this book. I don't know if you know this. Uh, Saga's pretty good, Joe. Yeah, Saga's always a home run. Saga's always a winning choice. And, uh, you know, it's back on track. It's six issues, then a little bit of a sabbatical. Six issues. Hopefully we don't get a big break like we did before. Um, I don't know if I can uh, deal with missing this book for that long again, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that is what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com uh, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, uh, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is currently in the lead with over me with one correct guess. Um, this is a layup week for Todd. Um, yep. The book he's most looking forward to coming out this week is Human Target number 12. It is, even though there are many books on this list that I could have picked from. There sure are. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking over your list, and it's a three-way, maybe even a four-way tie for me. So I'm throwing the dart, and I'm going to go with also Human Target number twelve. No, it's one of the it's one of the uh, Kyle Starks books, and I couldn't pick. Right, this was a, a, literally a coin flip. Um, you know, obviously we talked online about it. Kyle was nice enough to give us uh, previews. Um, of Where Monsters Lie. Kyle was nice enough to come on the show a year ago to promote uh, I Hate This Place. And while issue one of Where Monsters Lie was very strong, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that next week, just like we'll be talking about Human Target number 12 next week, the return of I Hate This Place uh, with issue six, almost like it's a new number one, it's the beginning of a new story arc, that's my pick for this week. Okay. But like I said, if we recorded tomorrow or if we were recorded on Monday, the answer might have been different. You know? Yep. Yep. When I was putting the list together, grabbing links that work, that's <laughs> the one that I picked for uh, the book of the week for me, which is I Hate This Place number six. Mm-hmm. Uh, while you are over at longboxheroes.com, you could find links to our store where you could buy shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on it all throughout the site. Um, only because the banners that they provide kind of are ugly and I, I'm not going to say misleading, but not uh, enticing. Let's say uh, you can make any of your eBay purchases through our eBay affiliate links. Uh, hey, don't buy now. Always make an offer eBay. It's, you know, the way to get stuff. Uh, hard to find, rare items, get good deals on items. And uh, when you get a good deal on an item, uh, you know, whatever the cut eBay takes, they give a little bit of that cut to us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, another way that you can support us, of course, and get something in return even more is signing up for our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash longboxheroes. Uh, dollar a month, $5 a month, two levels, that's it. Nothing extra, nothing confusing, no sorts of whatevers. Uh, you get uh, two bonus shows a month from Todd and I. One is the movie show. This year we are talking about comic book oddities. So far we've done the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie, the David Hasselhoff Nick Fury TV movie. 
For March, we are doing the 1978 Doctor Strange TV movie. And, of course, the old standby, Previewing the Past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. Also, as part of your Patreon subscription, you get those full catalogs that we're going to be talking about. <laughs> um, expertly done, high-quality scans of those catalogs, except for the last like 30 or so pages. I'm not really sure what happened there. Uh, of course, you get the full back catalogs of all the previous shows that we've been doing over on the Patreon for the last three years now. And at the $5 level, you're going to get those bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. And you're going to get Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else so that you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Mm-hmm. So, as mentioned, we do not have any TV shows or any movies to be discussing this week. So, for the very, very end of the show, (laughs) we are going to be talking about the next two issues of Sandman. And Todd and Joe have issues. Uh, We are doing a complete reread of Neil Gaiman's Sandman and not just the 75 issues. We're doing all the assorted miniseries, all the extra stuff, a expertly thankless job done by Todd curating this list of what we're going to be reading over the year 2023. Whether you're rereading Sandman uh, along with us, you're reading it for the first time, or this is your first time getting all this ancillary material and reading it from beginning to end. You know, Todd and I did not get a chance to read this stuff beginning to end. We read it over the course of some 25 years, you know? Yep, yep. And now to get everything that was released over that 25-year run to be crammed into one year, it's quite the experience. It's quite the walk down comic book memory lane. And uh, this week we are talking about the first two issues uh, in the trade collection, what have you, of Dream Country. Uh, which is issues um, 17 and 18 of Sandman. Yes. And just as a note, I know I included it in the show notes from last week. These first two that we're going to be talking about are the last two that were adapted for the Netflix show. So everything from here on out is going to be stuff that you may not have a frame of reference for if you watch the show but never read the books before. Yep, yep. And I'll chime in where I can because this is this is where Todd gets to shine. He yep. is, uh, like I said, the curated list that he did for Sandman is impeccable. So I'm going to let him lead, and I'm going to just sit back with my feet up. Right. Um, so basically, this story starts out in 1986 with uh, his name is uh, uh, Murdoch, right? Uh, Rick something or other. Give me right. a second here. I had it right in front of me. I don't take exclu- extensive notes on these. Right. Um, I usually I... just have it in front of me. Um, so it's Richard Maddock. Maddock. I see. Right. I always get that confused. So Richard Maddock, I'm just going to call him Maddock. He's a writer and he ends up getting his doctor friend to get him this. They're called a, a, a Bezor. And they're like things out of people's stomachs. And uh, he wants one fr- from his friend of the doctor. And he's like, well, this one is a trichnobarzor, which is like a woman's chewing on her hair. And it makes these things and it grows and grows and grows in her, in her stomach. And he's like, okay, you asked me to get you one of these. Um, here it is. He's like, what do I owe you? He's like, he's like, nothing. You don't owe me anything. It's just what it got incinerated because it isn't one of the one of the, you know, uh, one that's worth money. Some of them are. Um, he's like, just sign the book for me. And his sign is the book is uh, that uh, Maddock wrote was the, ca- the Cabaret of Dr. Calgary, which is a play on words for, uh, I forget, was uh, an actual movie, The Cabinet 
yes. of Dr. Calgary. So that was a nice little wordplay thing. And he's like, I love this book. I heard you're writing a sequel because he was a big hit. And he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, well, how far have you gotten? And he's like, well, I really don't want to, you know, talk about it. And he ends up leaving and uh, he gets matter gets a call from his publisher. He's like, hey, when or his agent, he's like, when are you getting to the book? He's like, it's nearly finished. He's like, it's almost done. Maybe, th- uh, you know, three quarters, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I really got it. I'm busy. I'll get back to you. After he hangs up, he's like, how much have I written? Like, nothing. Not a word. So he ends up going over to this house, and he ends up talking to uh, Emazarus uh, Fry, who's another writer. And he ends up, you know, they end up discussing, uh, you know, writing and what it's like to have – uh, a writing block and you know he's like what about the uh the thing the 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 bezors and he ends up giving M- maddock a intensive history of what they are they're like good for back in the day they were thought to like stave off poisons and people would rent them to people for a while at exorbitant rates and uh, uh you know he's trading them for something and he ends up you know saying i know what it's like to be on the the end of uh uh, you know, a, a writer's block, and this is going to help you. And he ends up saying, he's like, did you bring clothes? And he's like, I didn't even think. He's like, I can give you a coat. He's like, I caught her, you know, in Greece in, you know, in 1927, because he's like, an, he's an elderly man. Um, and he ends up talking, he's like, about how, you know, people say that they should woo her kind, but I feel it's much better to, you know, Eh, kind of force it if you will um and he's like basically here she is and it's calliope um and she's one of the i think it was like the uh, original eight muses from greek history and he ends up uh he's like uh well i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in there you know obviously uh so we get the bit where fry is uh talking to maddock about the uh the bezor right mm-hmm. um and he's like uh, the line that he says oh yes rapunzel let down your hairball is such a great line <laughs> right you know when he's pontificating and giving all this information and he says i'm sorry i'm lecturing again an old writer with no one to talk to gets found fond of the sound of his own voice and as someone who rambles incessantly i could certainly uh relate to that Yep, that is a great line. One of my favorite lines is coming up soon. But we end up seeing Calliope, and I love uh, the way Kelly Jones draws her. And we'll save our discussion for Kelly Jones for the end of the issue. But yeah, well, I just want to discuss the way he draws her real quick. Because um, he ended up making sure that she was, because muses are pretty, but he didn't want her because she had been beaten down for how many X amount of years? 60 years. Years that he wanted her to be still pretty, but have that POW, like prison camp kind of look. And it was all like his idea. It wasn't like Neil's kind of a deal, but they ended up really loving it. And I think he did a really good job on making her that way. You know, like she still got the curves and everything, but there's just like a sadness and an emaciatedness to her. Um, yes, and there's a twistedness to her, you yes. know? Um, like, obviously, in most shots of her, you could see her rib cage, you know? Yes. If you see her in that sort of thing. And there's many shots where you could see her hair and how long her hair is and what her hair looks like, but more times than not, 
her hair is always covering her face. You yep. never get a clear shot of her face for most of the time uh, during this, you know? Right. And, and also, oh, it, it's a twistedness with her as well. While, like, Kelly Jones' art, and again, we'll get into it, but she, Calliope, is drawn so many times with which, with so much shadow on her. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, you know, again, I'm I'm speculating here as a dope with a podcast that that is to represent the darkness that her life is and has been for these nigh on 60 years, you know? Right. And I like the way a lot of, and I'm not a prude or anything, like the nudity is hidden. Like it's all suggested. It's, 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 it's really good. Yes. But, um, uh, Fry ends up saying like, you're, you're a Maddox now and just go with them. And she's like, I thought you were, going to like give me my freedom and he's like this is my like one of my favorite lines and he's like put not your trust in princes my dear nor in an aging author who has never been what one might call a shining example when it came to keeping his words writers are liars my dear surely you should have realized that by now um and i think that's a great line and he says take her away i don't want to see either of you ever again but when you become famous from being her muse um, if you could persuade some publisher to bring back my novel, here comes a candle. Uh, please do that. I was particularly proud of that one. Um, so he takes her home and immediately he's not a nice guy. I mean, I'm not even going to, you know, I'm not, not going to sugarcoat it or whatever. He basically says, they basically say his first action was to just, you know, go for it. And from that, he immediately gets, uh, uh, you know, all his ideas. Inspiration. Talk, right. He ends up talking to you like he goes, well, before it was done, I realized I had X of thousands of words and I was well on my way into, you know, starting my next novel. So it's like, obviously that kind of seduction to, is not going to end kind of a deal. So Calliope ends up, you know, uh, you know, praying to anybody who would hear me. And once again, the three witches, whatever form they are in this, they, they, uh, whatever they're going to call them. They're the furies, the, 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 I forget the fates, whatever they show up. And she's like, can anybody, uh, help me? And they're like, no, you're, he goes, you were caught according to the laws you're bound. Um, and there's not too many people, uh, who from the olden times who are still around to help you. There are a few of the old powers, they kind of say, who, uh, but there's not many who, who would meddle in the affairs of mortals these days. A lot of the gods have died. Um, only the endless will never die. And even they are having a difficult time at this time. And he's like, uh, and with the endless, I don't know if you really want, you know, the one that you know to come for you because you didn't part on the best terms. You were kind of, Lovers, weren't you? And you bared him a cub, and they go into, like, the boy who was torn, who went to Hades uh, for his lady love and died and was torn apart by the sisters of the frenzy. Um, And Calliope's even like, not him, not after what he did to me. He hates me. I could not get his help. And they say, well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, While you're imprisoned here, this is 1986 or 87, he's he's at Burgess's basement captured. So he's like... I don't, I don't know who it could be who's going to save you. And she's like, oh, please just – they leave. She's like, please come back. She's like, I'll take anybody, even 
Onerios, which is another word for, you know, Morpheus, obviously, because he has so many names. Um, and then she ends up thinking about how Fry caught her. Um, she went home and uh, she was captured. He burnt her scroll and had like all the rituals that you kind of needed. And I do like like the little bit that Kelly Jones draws her when she's bathing in the, the lagoon that she looks happy. You know what I mean? Um, and like different. Kind of and how room. when we see Fry making his approach um, with the Molly flowers and her scroll in his hand, I would say that he almost draws Fry to look like the Joker. Not almost. He definitely draws <laughs> Fry to look like the Joker. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, Madrock comes back and he's like, you know, like, here we go. He's like, uh, uh, I finished the novel. So let's, you know, let's let's do some more. She's like, please let me go. And he's like, just shut up. You're my personal muse. Now let's party. Um, so we jumped to 1987. Um, and I, I do like this bit and Neil like talks about this, uh, when they're at the party for his new book, um, the one woman's talking to him. He's like, I love your characterization of Aileen. Um, there aren't enough strong women in fiction. He's like, actually, I, den- I do tend to regard myself as a feminist writer. He's like, so do tell me where you get your ideas. That three word balloon conversation. It's like, what a phony Joe. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm a feminist writer. Meanwhile, he's got some, you know, a, 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 an entity locked up that he's using in horrible, horrible ways. A female entity at that, but he's a feminist writer. That absolutely blows my mind. Um, so then, like, we start rocketing through uh, time where he's, like, doing all his deals. He gets rid of his original agent so he can get the new one, um, which is, you know, has more pull and he's trying to get his books made into movies but he really wants uh you know to direct he's like you know playing all the angles um and in the end he ends up you know getting he's gonna get the movie made and he's gonna be the director kind of a deal um and along the way somewhere along the way morpheus uh ends up uh finding out that he has calliope and he shows up and he's like, uh, she's like, oh, I, it's you. You were, I heard you were in prison like me. It's like, they spoke the truth, but I'm out and uh, I'm, I'm free now. She's like, then please, if you had any love for me whatsoever left in your heart, help make me, you know, help him free me. So uh, he's, uh, Madark is getting his, he's getting an interview and he ends up finding out that Fry is dead. Um, and he was like, he's kind of taken aback by it. And he fi- he thought he died because he was an old man, but he ended up poisoning himself, which I thought was interesting, which comes to the story he told about the thing that he wanted that was in the woman's stomach, which staved off poisoning. And it makes me wonder if there was like another something there, but we, we really don't get into it. Um, and he's like, uh, he, all he wanted was he was begging them to put one book back into print. And he's like, here comes a candle. And he's like, that's he was that was his favorite, and it was even one of my favorite books. So um, he ends up going home to his mansion, and he ends up running into Morpheus, who's sitting in the house, and he thinks he's Morpheus is a 
you know, crazed fan or whatever. Um, and Morpheus is having none of it. He ends up laying it down. He's like, I know what you're doing. Uh, Maddox, I know you ever against your will freer. And he's like, I don't know what you are. He's like, uh, I know what you are. I'm calling the police. Um, and that's that. I, and then he, so I have to interject. So, you know, uh, uh, Maddox comes in and he's going through all the different things like get out of my house and so on and so forth. And obviously, you know, we know who Morpheus is and what Morpheus is. And when it dawns on Maddox, he's like, you're going to call the police, aren't you? Is that it? And just such a perfect Morpheus line of, no, I will not call any human agency. And I'm just like, <laughs> right, like just... what a perfect Morpheus line, you know? Right. And he's like, basically, um, I need her. You know what I mean? I, all the ideas, I wouldn't have any ideas. Um, uh, I can't free her now, maybe in a year or so. Um, he's like, and Morpheus goes off. He's like, you hold your tongue kind of a deal. He's like, she's been captured, you know, for 60 years, stripped of all her possession, demeaned, abused and hurt. I know, I know how she must feel. Um, and you want to free her because you have ideas. He's like, you need ideas. And he's like, you disgust me. You want ideas? You, you want dreams? You want stories? Then ideas you will have ideas in abundance. And he kind of like, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, uh, he had weird dreams and he goes to Calliope and he says, did you do this to me? He's like, no, this wasn't me. But uh, this was somebody else. He was once my lover, and he was the father of my son. And I like, he's like, I didn't know you had a son. He's like, you don't know anything about me. You know, all I am is a receptacle for you, kind of a deal. Um, and it's too late for you. Uh, goodbye. Enjoy your party. So he's going to go off to a party, and along the way, he stops to buy a paper, and he's just overwhelmed with ideas. And he ends up going through, like, all of them, like, I'm not going to go through each of them, like, but they get, they're weird. Some of them actually sound like a good story. Um, and he's like just losing his mind. And eventually the doctor from the beginning of the book ends up uh, finding him. And he's like, what's the matter? And he's like, too, too many ideas. And as he's walking away, we see like the wall is covered in all these ideas and blood and, and like, you know, written down. And he takes him back to his place and he's like, oh, my God, what happened to your hand? And his fingers are worn down to a nub. And, you know, we're going to get around to uh, uh, Kelly Jones's art. But that part, that gives me skeeves when I look at, like, the way the fingers are worn down to, like, bones sticking out of the skin. He's like, I didn't have any paper, so I used the wall in my fingertips. Um, and he basically says, yeah, I'm going to fix you up. He's like, no. Um, it's her, it's her revenge. You have to make them stop. He's like, listen, just go to my house. There's a woman there. Let her out. She's tell her she's free. Tell her I, I, uh, you know, she's free of my beholding kind of a deal and, uh, tell her to make it stop. Tell her I'm sorry. So he goes, he's like, basically walks into the house. He says, Hey, you're free, but she's not there anymore. And all that's left is, uh, here comes a candle left on the floor um and i love the fact that like the the tagline on the thing was she was his muse and the slave of his lust which is basically the story of calliope um and she ends up uh coming to morpheus calliope he's like thank you um and he's like what's you gonna do now she's like i think i'm gonna leave this is not of my age 
Um, uh, the world has changed. She's like, and she asked him, do you still hate me? Um, he's like, no, I no longer hate you. I've learned much in the recent times. Um, and he's like, uh, I think you should release the mortal. And he goes, okay, I will. If that's what you wish. And she basically says kind of through all this, he's like, the old you would have let me rot kind of a deal. And something's changing you. And obviously it's his imprisonment, especially because he even says he knows how he feels earlier in the book. And she's like, well, maybe I could come visit you in the dream realm again. It would be nice to see you again. What do you think? He's like, I don't think that would be a good idea. She's like, okay, no, it wouldn't. I'm leaving. Goodbye. Um, and as they go, the doctor's talking to uh, Maddock and he's like, whatever it was, the shape reforms, it was his name. I can't remember his name. I wish I remember it was like Morpheus or Orpheus or one of those. And then he's like, it's all gone. I have no more ideas. I've lost them all. Um, I've gotten, I've, I've got no idea. I've got no idea anymore. No idea at all. And that's the end of the thing. Like, which is almost a fate worse than death for a writer. Um, a great, a great dark, dark issue, Joe. Right. Um, you know, and so strengthened by Kelly Jones's art. Yes. Um, you mentioned before, of course, where Maddox is just overwhelmed with ideas and he's, he's wore his fingers down to nubs writing his information on just anywhere he can. And there's that one panel where he's dragging his fingers down his face and like, is it him clawing his, uh, at its own face? Is it the blood of his torn apart hands and fingers leaving those marks down his face? It could be interpreted either way. Um, and then there's several shots of what his fingers look like, all gnarled and mangled, almost to the point of even if he did keep these, uh, this ability to write, his hands may no longer be physically able to keep up with whatever his mind is doing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, um, go ahead, go ahead. I will say this, though. It is only the blood s- sprawled over his face. He doesn't scar himself. No, it certainly is. But, like, the way that it looks, it no, looks okay, like it I could be you. interpreted either way, you know? Because well, when we get to the book, there's no scars. Like, he's the doctor has cleaned him up and bandaged his hands, and he's got, like, a normal face. So, right. But as you were saying of the way he's drawn. Joe, do you remember me saying that Mike Drisgenberg was my definitive Morpheus artist? <laughs> yes. I may have to go on record and say I have now two definitive Morpheus artists. Because when – I forgot. It's been a long time since I read these. And I remember how much I loved uh, Drisgenberg's art. And he's one of my guys that's on my dream sketch list to get something. But when he comes in the house and Morpheus is sitting in the chair and then there's that shot on his eyes mm-hmm. and then the shot below him where he's got his arms crossed and he not only his arms crossed, Morpheus is crossed uh, in this situation. Oh, my God. So good. And then when we get to the end where Morpheus just fades out because Maddox is losing his ability to retain memories of his ideas and Morpheus himself, and he just fades out to white. That's that's ungodly beautiful in in the art and the color and everything. We're not going to get into coloring. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> just so so good, Joe. So so good. So right. So those last two pages, as we have it there, um, you know, when we get to see the different Morpheus, the Morpheus who has been cooped up 
uh, for 80 years, not unlike Calliope herself, who has been uh, put up for 60 years. And that bit where the other Furies come to Calliope and they bring up even Morpheus's name and she says, not him, not after what he did to me. He hates me for that. And I despise him. I would not accept his help. And then we get this bit in that first panel on the second to last page where she thanks him. Okay. And he asks, what will you do now? Um, And this is so as Morpheus appeared in this era, 1980, whatever, you know, he is drawn as at least, you know, obviously he is drawn as the person he's interacting with sees him. So he is very contemporary. He's got a leather jacket. He's got a big collar. It's got zippers. He's you know what I mean? But if you look at these six panels here, he is slowly starting to morph his look, pun intended, from how he was dressed earlier in the issue into the cloaked and robed Morpheus that we know, right? Mm-hmm. The hair is starting to change from, like, the flock of seagulls type thing to the more Robert Smith-style hair that he normally has, right? Great reference, by the way, but go ahead. Well, more importantly, in that first panel on that second-to-last page, Morpheus cannot make eye contact with Calliope. He's almost shrugging. He's showing weakness for what would be probably the first time that she got to see him in this fashion, right? Mm-hmm. That is maybe the most powerful panel in this issue. Yep. Um, and then, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, um, and that's the thing. Un- under normal circumstances, Morpheus reacts and he curses Madrock with all of these stories. And normal Morpheus pre-80 years ago would have just left this man m- madness. Even right. if somebody pleaded with him to take it back, he would not do so. But Calliope did not take much pleading with him. She just said, I think you should release the mortal uh, now that he has set me free. Even after everything that he did. Mm-hmm. Which is, and, uh, go ahead, and he says, if that is what you wish, it will be done. No discussion, no whatever, no anything. And it's just like, this is... In, you know, 16, 17 issues of this book, we have seen so much growth in this character. Just from the stories that people tell of how much of a jerk he used to be. And in that, Joe, literally, like you said, it's 16 issues. This is the 17th issue. 16 issues ago, he condemned Burgess's son to waking nightmares for eternity. Yes. And now this person who did the same exact thing... He releases them and gives them mercy. Yes, that is a big change. I'm 100% with you. Um, uh, uh, One little cool thing that I know about this, the bit where uh, Maddox has his first, you know, moment with Calliope and he ends up right like that the day after where it's uh, like I wrote, you know, 3000 words or whatever. And I was well on my way. Um, That uh, office that he's in, is Neil Gaiman's writing office at the time. Oh, that's hilarious. He sent tons of reference to Kelly Jones so he could write, like, he could draw what it looked like. He was like, yep, I worked it in. And he ended up saying that this, he found it funny that this was one of the hardest issues to write a story about someone having writer's block. He said it would come to him about every six or seven issues where he'd write an issue and then he would just have to stop and tear it up and start over. 
And this was one of the hardest ones. And then he said somewhere around the 20s or maybe early 30s, he never had that happen again. But I, I found that uh, quite uh, amusing uh, about it. And all, all around, like I said, just, just a lot of fun stuff because obviously I do believe he's taking – other than some of the dark, dark stuff, um, his experiences as a writer, you know what I mean? Working right. it into any of the stuff that's not calliope based, like talking with editors or at party, the stuff you hear at parties and stuff like that. So I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, so on to the next issue then, Joe. Yes. Uh, so this is a dream of a thousand cats. Uh, of course, written by uh, Neil Gaiman, <laughs> but also with art by Kelly Jones. Yes. Um, now, Joe, I may get emotional during this one because this is a good story. So if you hear my voice <laughs> quiver, it's because this story uh, <laughs> this story maybe give me some dusty onions whenever I read it. For sure. But uh, it starts out with this adorable kitten, Joe. And I'm not even a cat guy, but... You know, getting right to it as we talked about Kelly Jones's art. Kelly Jones' art on all these cats, absolutely amazing. And they're all different versions of his actual cat. He had a bunch and bunches of pictures for reference. Then he would shade them different colors. And he had pictures of his cat when he was a kitten. He goes, and I tormented my cat trying to position him in poses. So he would uh, be like that. I think the cat's name was Knuckles was the name of the cat. So, uh it starts out with this little kitten, you know, with its family talking about him. And he hears a cat outside and he's like, come on, we have to go if we want to get there in time. Shake your little tail. And he's like, there's no way out. And I like, he's like, well, there's one of the, uh, there's one of, uh, what is it? The, the clear hold is partly open. Talking about windows because cats don't understand what wi- windows are. And they end up, you know, getting out and everything. And they travel um to see uh it and they're like they're they're picking up cats as they go um and they're all talking about uh the, the little kitten's curious what's this person like who knows not this cat um they're all like oh we're going to see her as they pick up more and more and they end up uh uh the kitten's like i do want i do want to know what she has to say and he's like so do we all so do we all and they get to uh this cemetery and a Siamese cat comes out and he's like, uh, she's like, I'm glad you're here to, to hear my message. And this is one of those that has amazing writing. And if I almost had to, I could almost read this book from beginning to end, but that's not what we do. Um, but talking about how like we are there, these, we're in the thrall of the humans beings, their playthings, their possessions. Um, and I was fooled. Uh, that they had, you know, what they gave me, they offered me comfort and warmth, but it was kind of all a lie. Like when I met this Tomcat, and I like the way he, she describes the Tomcat. He was of ragged ear and dark eye. It was my time for love, and he was my choice of lover. Um, so they get a hoat, and like the the, the, the the mutual hunger was screeched to the heavens. Just so, I, I feel like this is the way cats would talk. Um, if they did, um, and he leaves and I never saw him again. Um, but I had my cats and my kittens and I was waiting to teach them all about life, the joys of hunting, survival, all of it. And the two owners are talking. He's like, Oh, we, why'd you let the cat out? You knew she was in heat and you know, but the, the kittens are so cute. Yeah. But they're, she's a purebred Siamese and whatever it was, was some alley cat. They're no good. So he ends up taking the cat and what people do with the cats, puts them in a sack and 
into the into the drink, you know, and the mother talking about how she could feel them from afar in the dark as the cold water took them. I'm like, oh, oh, my God. Right. Um, so she decides uh, I knew then then that I was fooling myself and I needed to be free. Um, and I prayed. Um, so she ends up praying to like the cat gods, the carrion kind um, and goes to the dreaming. And a crow shows up and a skeleton kind of a deal. And she's like, what are you here for? I'm here to, you know, for justice. uh, And I want wisdom. And she's like, okay, um, you're in the providence of dream, but beware when you seek them out. Like, you know, when you go see them, much much harm can come to you. It's like, I'm not afraid. And the cat starts walking. And this is where we get over how determined the cat is because they they explained in just like six panels what's thrown in front of the cat like you know snow like her paws were numb from the snow and then she heard people in the woods um that they whispered please come to me and play with them and she was like she wanted to play with them in the worst way and then she was like at one point I thought I heard my children calling me, but I straightened my tail and I walked forward um, until I came to like the mountain of the cat dreams and uh, she saw the guards. And I like the fact that even though they're in the cat dreams, they're still the guards from earlier on in the book. And later in the book, it's the Pegasus, the Griffin. And I forget what the other one is, the Chimera, I think. Um, and she's like, what are you here for? And, uh, and he's like, I've, I've, I'm here and I will not be torn, turned away. I want to talk to the dream Lord and only him. Um, I, and I like this. I am a cat and I keep my own counsel. And he's like, okay, but be warned. Dreams have their price. And she goes in and there's, you know, Morpheus, but Morpheus, as we always say, uh, the way you see him. So he looks like a cat, the black cat with glowing eyes which looks amazing. And he proceeds to tell the cat of the story, like how things can change if you want things that originally cats ruled the world and cats were bigger and humans were small playthings, and they attended to their every need. And we, they groomed us, they fed us and pet us. And at night we would hunt them because birds and mice were so small. They were beyond our, like beneath our notice and uh, the joy of hunting them would come and then like there's that just horrific shot of catching a human and you know having it in its mouth and then we see that great shot of the moon with the blacked out cat with just its eyes and the teeth just working so well on this um then a human amongst his people he's like He's basically had enough of it. And he's, I've had a dream kind of the way he, this is, you know, it's poetry because it rhymes the way the cat was, you know, looking for justice in dreams. And he's like, basically dreams are so powerful that if we just, you know, a bunch of us get together and dream uh, that we could change the world, that we're the ones in charge kind of a deal. And uh, all, you know, it's just, we only need but a thousand or so kind of a deal. And one night it happens and it changes the world, but not just that it changed the world to that now, like the world is the way it is. It was so strong that it changed it all the way back to the beginning of time. So it was never that way, which I thought was a great, uh, great kind of a thing. And he's like, so now all you kind of have to do is do the same thing, um, get, you know, a thousand cats to 
to do it and maybe uh you can do it do you understand and he's like she's like i do and he's like uh are you strong enough and she's like yes i hope so then i you i then wake child with my blessing so basically the cat's still given this you know now we're back in the present cat's given the speech like that was my vision and we can change the world just do this you know if a bare thousand of us dreams we can change the world and uh she basically says and this has been my message and another one of how determined she is where we get like six or seven panels of like i've been here i've traveled to every place i've walked for leagues i've been in a metal machine across the ocean and i like this i've preached to solitary feral cats in empty places and i've shouted my message to the stars from the rooftops and whispered it to dying cats in alleyways um and basically, it's the same message every time. Dream it, and paradise can come again. And then I like when, as she's leaving, like all the cats are kind of like, you know, ah. And the little kitten comes, and it's a great shot. And she's like, Mistress, I believe. And then as the cat's walking away, he's like, Then there is hope. And as the cat that came with the kitten is like, Do you think it'll ever happen? She's like, Good luck with that. Good luck trying to, you know, get a thousand cats to do anything there there's that term like you know train like like get a horde of cats to do one thing um and he goes home uh the kitten goes home to the to the people and they're like oh it's so cute look at it it's sleeping because it had a long night and it's dreaming and it's doing the things that cats do he's like what do you think it's doing it's twitching i think maybe it's hunting something some small animal i suppose and they're like that's really cute with the just ominousness of the he's thinking about hunting you, and if we get nine hundred and ninety nine more cats, you're going to be the one who's going to be in there. So, this is one of my all time favorite stories. This is like we talked about top five. This is up there, and I don't even I'm not even a cat man. I'm a dog man, but I love love this story. Yeah, uh, this is great. Um, you know, obviously the last secret episode of Sandman, it was these two uh, issues adapted. Uh, the the cat stuff, of course, was animated with a very like almost like cell shaded style. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have Netflix, I'm sure if you poke around the internet, you could probably find this. It's 15 minutes, well worth your time. And obviously, the the story here at 22, 23 pages. Just adds a lot more flavor to it, you know? Right, right. And Morpheus' bit is the strongest bit. And obviously, um, you know, reading it in here, but seeing the visual, even in animated form, what happens to the mistress cat when the owner takes the kittens and disposes of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a very horroring moment. But it's Morpheus who's the star when he gives that that speech, as you mentioned, where he explains that the dream of a thousand people dreaming the same thing at the same time was so powerful that it not only changed the present, it also made the past no longer exist. Yep. Yep. And that's just like such an amazing concept. And it's one of those things that has been, I I feel as though, you know, not not so much as time travel, but the idea of that, where the thing that you do alters everything. But in this story by Neil Gaiman, the fact that it goes and completely changes and erases the past, and the fact that it's just this one cat who has this memory, and this cat could be full of it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, 
We don't know. And this is a great, these are these three or these four that are in this are great single issue stories. Yes. Um, and that being said, the reason for the, like him doing like doing eight issues and then another eight issues and then having four one shot stories is he was he's been on record as saying I would do these eight issue arcs and they're great for what they are. But then I during these arcs, I would have these ideas for great one shot stories like the cat. Like, uh, you know, uh, the, the Calliope story, stories that he liked or had ideas for, and then stories he needed to move the plot along because as you know, as it is the Calliope thing, obviously is, is something, you know, big later, like the story of that. And then in this, the, the abilities for dreams to have that power to change things, that's part of the story later. But he's like, I would want to do these one shot, great stories, but I had nowhere to do them because I had locked myself into these giant eight issue story arcs. And he goes, and it kind of sucked. So it was nice to hit these four issues, these four issues and do like, I could do these ones. And then it was also like a talk with Karen Berger an editor. It was great to have a one-off story as a jumping on point. Cause who wants to come in? If everyone's a giant eight part story, you can't really get anything. And Neil said down the line, he goes, this was, and uh, a few people would understand, this was my blink from like Doctor Who. or And this was the book that you gave. The cat story was the one you could one off and give to somebody and say, here, read this. If you like what this is about, like you'd maybe have to give them the gist of the story that's about the Dream King and he's seen different ways. But you would give it to somebody and go, read this and more often than not this would be that hook issue to get people in and i could see it it's a very simple story with a you know a beginning a middle and end and you don't have to worry about 75 other issues of sandman and miniseries and one shots and stuff like that so definitely definitely a cool like you know idea of why he did all this stuff Right, and I'm not sure what issue it ends up getting printed in, but a friend of the show, uh, fellow podcaster Mark Cole, actually got a letter printed in Sandman talking about this issue, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of extolling a lot of the same things that we did, um, you know, talking about Kelly Jones's art, um, you know, signaling specific imagery of Dream as the cat. Um, and of course the, uh, the editor, I guess, who answers the, the, the letters, um, you know, mentions that, as you mentioned, Todd, that Mm -hmm. Kelly's, uh, cat knuckles who patiently posed for many of the panels, uh, appreciates your praise. Yep. Uh, Um, so yeah, that's really cool. Like I said, that Mark was kind of like a, a day one reader wrote a letter in. And again, this is back in the day where you got to put pen to paper. Yep. (laughs) And uh, Joe, I forget who said this. You know, um, if you don't like something today and you have an internet connection and a phone and you can fit it into 240 characters, you can say whatever you want to whomever you want, wherever you want, right? Yep. There's no thought behind it. And again, that's how a lot of people get in trouble by not putting thought into things like this. But back then, you had to get a piece of paper and a typewriter or a word processor a pen or a pencil and write your thoughts out as clearly and as legible as possible. Put that into an envelope and get a stamp. Yeah. Put that into the mail and the hopes that whoever you're mailing it to reads it. Um, you know, it was a different time in the way that, uh, you as a fan made your voice heard. And obviously then 
Um, I never uh, wrote a letter in to a comic book. I know back when DC brought the letters pages back for a hot minute, yeah. they had emails opened up, and I think we ended up getting an email in a, an issue of Secret Six. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never wrote into a comic book. I think you had once or yep. twice. Right? Yep. I will say this. And also the other thing about it is if you wrote an e- a letter in, you had to wait a month or two or three to see if it got printed. You know? Right. It wasn't just like, oh, here you go. But yes, I did get a letter printed uh, in a flash annual back in the day. And that was my one and only time that I guess. So, but, uh, one other fact that I have about this was, um, this was the issue that when they did the trade paperback, uh, of dream country, which is this, these two issues and the two that we'll be talking about next week, um, that they put the script for this issue in the trade paperback and a lot of uh, other like, you know, like hardcovers and stuff like that due to the fact that it was only four issues and they felt like uh, Karen Berger and DC made it as a marketing ploy to like give you something else. Like it was like, Oh, four issue trade was almost like unheard of, you know, in the, in the, the late eighties, early nineties. So like, cause everything was six or, or, or eight or stuff like that. So he was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I like the idea of, them people seeing how a comic book script works he goes because when he started out he didn't really know how it all worked and then he saw alan do this alan moore do the same thing somewhere and he's like okay this isn't so much as a gimmick or an opportunity as it is a chance for me to like at least teach people what hit like obviously every writer does it different but how his script would work. And I thought that was really cool that along the way, you know, uh, a script got put in. So. Right. Um, and again, he says, uh, this is not how to write comics. The Neil Gaiman way. It's a script for Calliope. It's been printed here to satisfy your curiosity about what a Sandman script looks like. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Calliope. I apologize. No, it's okay. Um, and then he, he kind of goes into the art process um, all the different people that were involved in it. Now there are now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Throughout it, there's a bunch of different annotations and different handwritings and different colors. Do we know who is supposed to be who, or are these just all Karen Berger notes, right? Or are these just like Neil's notes? You know what I mean? I mean, I don't have it in front of me. I'd have to go through like each. Of, they're probably back and forth. You know what I mean? Okay. Like it might be like one like one color might be Karen. And like throughout the system, be like, okay, I want you to change this. And then, okay, I change this. What do you think of this? And then the artist might chime in with like, you know, like, no, I don't feel like drawing 13 armies of 20,000 people fighting each other on a battlefield. (laughs) You know what I mean? Let's do that in uh, the script instead of me drawing it, you know, kind of a deal. Yeah, but definitely an interesting piece if you have the trade, if you have the collection, if you have the whatever to uh, look through the, the, the script. And the notes and everything else with that. And, uh, hey, Sandman's a good comic book, you know? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, So, like Todd said, you know, we just did um, uh, 17 and 18 here. We got 19 and 20, um, which is the Midsummer's Night Dream issue, which is, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the issue that um, what gets Neil nominated for, like, a fantasy award. Yep, yep. That's the big one. This is the big one, and I then issue twenty is for at least a very long time 
the last time that Neil sticks his toe in the regular DC universe. Yes. Yes. And that's I mean, really all I can say about that. But uh, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, again, not Kelly Jones art, but this is where we get some big heavy hitters. Right. In the world of fantasy art. Uh, Charles Vest does the Midsummer's Night Dream issue. And Colleen Doran of A Distant Soil yes. uh, does the Facade issue. And I'm very much looking forward to reading both of those next week. Right. And one last thing, like because Kelly Jones does the two issues here. And then we have the two coming up. And then he does Seasons of Mist for the most part. The other thing that they did with these issues was these were tryout issues for artists. To see how he liked them. And he they liked Kelly Jones so much that we went two issues, you know, obviously gave scripts to other people. And he's like, let's go right into Seasons of Mess with it. So I always thought that, that was cool. So he'd get his feet wet and see what artists like and stuff like that. So, but all around, I'm looking forward to, though I may say one of the issues coming up that gets a lot of praise, maybe, you know, maybe not one of my favorite issues. But uh, Yeah, yeah. That's all. And we'll talk. We'll talk about that for next week. Yep. Just you know, I'm sprinkling out some you know some anticipation there for sure. And uh, yeah, so hey everyone, uh, that's really all we got for this week. Uh, you know, next week hopefully there'll be some news, but if not, we got at least three comics to talk about: <laughs> Sandman and Mandalorian. So it'll be a jammed up show next week, right? Yes, it will. All right. So for Todd, this is Joe closing out episode 647 of Longbox Heroes, and we will see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.